In an interview with Conan O'Brien, comedian and philosopher Louis C.K. responded to a question about cell phones. And what he said, I think, was kind of brilliant. Here's what he said. You need to build an ability to just be yourself and not be doing something. That's what the phones are taking away. The ability to just sit there like this. That's being a person. And nobody can do this anymore. We got we to gotta fidget. We got to check our phones. Because, you know, underneath everything in your life, there is that thing, that empty, that forever empty. You know what I'm talking about? This guy's a comedian, so he says it. it his timing is excellent. He says, you know what I'm talking about? Just that knowledge that it's all for nothing and you're alone. You know that forever empty feeling? It's down there. Sometimes when things clear away and you're not watching anything, you're in your car and you start going, oh no, here it goes. I'm alone. It starts to visit on you, you know? Just this sadness. He said, life is tremendously sad just by being in it. So you're driving and you start to realize you're alone and you reach for your phone. That's, that's why we text and drive. I look around, pretty much 100% of people driving are also texting. And they're killing. He said everyone is murdering each other with their cars because people are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second. So he tells a story this comedian, of hearing a sad song come onto his car radio as he's driving, and he says, so I'm getting sad, i got to get the phone, and I write hi to like 50 people. You guys ever do that? You write hi to like 50 people, and the cool people text you back before the not cool people, and so you just respond to the cool people, and you're like, forget the other ones? He tells this story, he says, so anyway, I started to get that sad feeling, and I reached for my phone, and I said, you know, don't. Just be sad. Let the sadness come. Stand in the way of it and let it hit you like a truck. So I let it come. The song played and I pulled over and I just cried. I cried so much and it was beautiful. He continues, sadness is poetic. You're lucky to live sad moments. He said, and then I had happy feelings. When, when you let yourself feel sad, your body has like these, he described them as antibodies, it has happiness that comes, and it comes rushing in to meet the sadness. He said, I was grateful to feel the sad, and then I met it with true, profound happiness. It was such a trip, he said, because we don't want, simply because we don't want that first bit of sad, we push it away with our phones or with food, and you never feel completely sad or completely happy. You just feel kind of satisfied with your products and then you die. That's a pretty bleak description, but it's something we all face. And in this sermon series, we are kind of addressing that forever empty that this comedian was referring to. It's kind of funny, but it's totally serious too. We all have that. The Bible talks about the forever empty. It addresses that deep loneliness that we all possess beneath our regular, seemingly normal lives. So everyone here tonight seems so put together, uh, but the truth is that underneath the surface shell that we put on in front of our friends and family, 
No one here is as put together as we would like to think. We all have some form of the forever empty. Most of us are just busying ourselves so we never have to feel it. But it is separation from God that makes us feel that way. It is loss of connection with our Creator. The Bible talks so much about being separated from God and the many ways we try to cure that problem superficially. So we're going through this sermon series, and in envy, we want something else someone has to fill the forever empty. In gluttony, we want sustenance, whether it's food, drink, social media, gossip, something to consume to distract us from the oppressive void that we feel. In greed, we want material possessions. We want them to make us feel worthy and valuable. Lust, like Daniel preached about last week, we fill the void with sexual pleasure. In pride, we demand honor, regard, and respect for ourselves, all to fill the hole that we have inside. In sloth, we want ungodly rest and laziness to make us feel better about the separation between us and God. We feel the hurt. We have to react in some way, and so we put the laziness in there. In despond, we want escape and numbness from the pain around us. And in wrath, we seek justice or avenge to fill the void. In the end, pretty much every sin, actually, seems to be meeting a legitimate need with an illegitimate measure. The forever empty, according to the Bible, is our separation from God. It is the quiet whisper in the middle of a long, lonely nighttime drive. You're alone. And so gluttony is us filling that separation and void, the forever empty, with food, drink, or something that momentarily suspends our appetite for consumption. As someone who has struggled with gluttony for years, I can tell you that these momentary things do not truly fill the void as you'd like them to. They may distract or comfort for a moment, but it comes back. We can never quite adequately combat the feelings of neediness that we have So as Louis mentioned in the Conan segment, happy feelings may emerge when you wait long enough in the sad, but eventually the whisper returns, you're alone. So tonight we're looking quickly at Jesus' response to one of the ways that we often fill that void, gluttony. So open with me to Philippians, I believe it's it's chapter 3, I wrote it down wrong here, chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. In verse 17, it begins, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So in this section, in the opening section, verses 17 and 18, Paul is writing a letter to the church at Philippi and explains that in his missionary journeys, he has witnessed people often who participate actively in the church, walking two different distinct paths. He calls them those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ in verse 17. And then he calls them, the other group, those who walk according to the example you have in us. His goal in writing this passage seems to be convincing his friends at Philippi to follow Jesus and walk in the path of the faithful. 
not as enemies of the cross of Christ. So he describes two different identities. One, those who remain enemies. He teaches about their way of life, what it looks like for them and for us if we choose that path. And he also describes another people, how the church ought to be. He describes the outcomes of following Jesus. So I want to, I want to look at this passage, and basically there are four things that I think Paul is saying about these two distinct choices. He talks about how it is possible to walk through life in these two different ways, and he's basically calling and begging us to follow the path of Jesus, not the path of the glutton. So here are four choices that we make between the way of gluttony and the way of Jesus. Number one, choose your destiny. Choose your destiny. You're getting to choose your destiny. Verse 19 says, their end is destruction. The Bible actually has some very difficult things to say about gluttony. It's easy to look at someone on death row and say, okay, that guy has it coming. I think that's a pretty easy, natural, maybe unbiblical or difficult thing to say, but a lot of people might say that, but we look at gluttony and we're like, okay, that's, that's not that big a deal. Like Daniel was saying earlier, we kind of glossed over that one, but the Bible speaks about overindulgence and obsessively appeasing my own appetite in much the same way you might talk about someone on death row. Some of the harsher warnings about gluttony found in the Bible, I'll read the, a couple of them, they're not on the screen, uh, but in the book of Ezekiel, uh, the writer says, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They had everything they needed and turned a blind eye to the poor, consuming for themselves. In Proverbs 23, the Bible says that it's actually better. It, it's a proverb, so it says, and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. It's figuratively saying, it's better to die than to live consuming the world like this. Proverbs 23 later on says, For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Paul, in his text that we're reading today, is not saying here that he never struggles with with gluttony, or that Christians sometimes don't. In fact, he's actually calling a church away from gluttony, apparently an issue that some of them were facing. He is speaking to people who claim to be Christians, like most of us here, And he is saying, like Daniel said last week, that someone who consistently lives a patterned lifestyle of sin, even the ones we like to overlook like gluttony, is someone who may have never experienced the reality of a true relationship with Jesus. If we live in completely unrepentant gluttony, appeasing our appetites and living for ourselves, our end is destruction. And that's eternal and temporal, which is a really harsh word about gluttony especially as someone, like I admitted earlier, who struggles with it on occasion. It says, but those who have followed Jesus have undeserved citizenship in heaven. So that's verse 20. In this verse, he's saying, Church of Philippi, if you follow Jesus, eat like a citizen of heaven. Live like one. Don't walk as those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Gluttony is walking toward destruction. One author said that with all the innovations of today that alive right now are the first few generations in danger of amusing themselves to death. Especially in our country and in the West, we often eat too much, we drink too much, and we can't look away from our phones. And the end of this type of living is destruction. There's no doubt. But 
Those who follow the way of Jesus do not live in a way that leads to destruction. Keeping their minds, our minds, on their, their heaven citizenry, they make decisions about food, drink, entertainment, and consumption with a future world in mind. A practical and easy example is food. It's the first one that comes to most of our mind when we think of gluttony. Heart disease is rampant in the United States. It's the leading cause of death among adults and is often caused by overconsumption. Of course, there's a number of genetic causes for it as well, but overconsumption often leads to heart disease, which is often a killer of adults in the U.S. So I have a question. Since gluttony leads to destruction, not just eternally, but here on earth as well, do you eat, drink, and otherwise consume in a way that leads to life or death? That's a question for you and for me to consider. The second point, so the first one was you choose your destiny. The second one is you choose your God. This passage begins in verse 19 saying their end is destruction. So it's describing the the path of the glutton. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly. Ooh, that's a really tough passage. If you follow the way of gluttony, your God is your belly. The word belly in the original language means appetite. Their own appetite is their God. And those who follow the way of the glutton are marked by putting their own desires before anything else. Is this you? So there's a book that um, Daniel suggested to me called Glittering Vices. The author, Rebecca DeYoung, writes, Our stereotypical picture of the glutton is the obese man in the cartoon who looks at his belt after dinner and comments, Ah, one more notch. I got room for dessert. As a vice, gluttony is something habitual. It might be more than that man, the cartoon. It is a, it's a routine. It's a pattern. It's a groove that gets worn into our character. As a vice, it is a sinful habit. It's complex, and it isn't simply eating or drinking, as you might expect. If there is anything simple about gluttony, it's the focus on pleasure, one's own pleasure, excessive pleasure, Immediate, tangible pleasure. Gluttony is really not about how much we're eating. Not so much. But about how our eating reflects how much pleasure we take in eating food and why. Eating is actually meant to be pleasurable. And so is feeling filled after being hungry. These pleasures, the food itself and the act of eating are all good things. They're God-given gifts. God commands us to eat. But the author continues, what's vicious about gluttony is that these pleasures often dominate everything else that's important. This vice degrades us into being mere pleasure seekers. This, this is what gluttony is really all about. And the main question that we have to ask is not how much is too much. Like, do I get two rolls of sushi or do I get three rolls of sushi? That's not so much the question. Rather, it's How difficult in my heart would it be to have to give up the third role or to go on without it? The trouble with gluttony is that it reduces eating to an exercise in gratifying my own desires for physical pleasure, consuming whatever I think will make me full and satisfied. Rather than simply enjoying food, we are using it to give ourselves a needed pleasure fix. Food and pleasure can be good, but they are terrible gods. If you follow the way of gluttony, your God is your belly. I don't know about you, but I feel like my belly is a terrible God. (laughs) 
For the Christian, our God must not be our own personal temporal pleasure. Instead, today's passage says that we await a Savior. Jesus, instead of focusing on ungodly pleasure now, like Him, we must wait for the Savior, in whom there are eternal pleasures of the godly sort, love and peace and joy and depth of understanding and proximity and closeness to God. Do you see the contrast that Paul is making between the two paths? When we are gluttonous, we follow the path of temporal pleasure. Our God is our belly. Whereas followers of Jesus pursue righteousness knowing that He's coming back for us. This makes me think of fasting. I'm not good at this one, but I have some friends who are great at it. Uh, They do this very well. They'll pause eating or drinking for a time to remember Jesus, to pray at greater length, to wake up earlier and spend extended times with God. They pause pleasure for a little while to more fully and deeply peer into the eyes of God. It's not something that I do regularly, but it's something I'd like to do and I challenge you to do. It's a practical way to put this into action. As soon as you begin to fast, you're immediately tested. Wait a second, am I sure that I really want to spend time with God because I would really like to go to brunch? Paul is presenting us with a number of choices here. You can choose your destiny. You choose your God. Number three, in, the, in terms of gluttony, you choose your glory. Verse 19 says, Their end is destruction. So we've been there. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. Have you ever been in a situation or seen a situation where someone has, maybe you, has consumed too much? And it's been kind of funny. Since last year's Connection Games hot dog eating competition champion is not in the room, I won't mention that particular event, but I was thinking of another example, something not food-ish. Netflix, late-night Netflix binging. Hmm? That strikes deep at the heart of all of us. I'm not saying this one is terrible all the time or that entertainment is bad in and of itself. I love that we can learn and grow and... Sometimes even rest a bit and uh, cry and laugh from entertainment. But I often, in my personal life, don't have time for people. I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time for studying or for exercising. But I have probably watched 200 hours of Netflix. Add in movies, video games, social media, and the time I spend figuring out what to order at Starbucks. And there is no doubt that I could often invest my time more effectively. Do you ever glory in your shame? Ever spend time on that kind of stuff? Sometimes I check Facebook memories and I'm like, what was going on here? You guys know about Facebook memories? Sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's embarrassing. I have a good friend who has brown hair and in eighth grade, he frosted his tips. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the late 90s, early 2000s, or Sync, the band, Uh, Basically, he spiked his hair and colored his brown hair blonde at just the tips. It was a bad idea. He thought it was awesome. In fact, we all thought it was awesome at the time. Uh, And every now and then, Facebook Memories brings that back up, and, and we realize that we were very wrong. Not a good idea. Frosted tips are not good. Please don't do that. It's like I I didn't even look out to see if anybody here has frosted tips. If so, I'm sorry. Yours look good. Gluttony is similar. It seems great in the moment, but when, when looked back upon over time, 
it doesn't hold up. It turns into regret. We choose to meet the sadness or need in our hearts with overconsumption, and it doesn't make the problem better. Gluttony feels great now, but ultimately fails us. To quote my favorite comedian, Jim Gaffigan, he says, I'm tired of people acting like they're better than McDonald's. It's like, you may have never set foot in McDonald's, but you have your own McDonald's. Maybe instead of buying a Big Mac, you read Us Weekly. That's still McDonald's. It's just served up a little different. Maybe your McDonald's is telling yourself that Starbucks Frappuccino is not a milkshake. Or maybe you watch Glee. It's all McDonald's. McDonald's of the soul. Momentary pleasure followed by incredible guilt, eventually leading to cancer. So see, we often laugh about this sin, and I will join you in laughing. I think that's a hilarious skit. Um, it's e- but it, in this, we, we kind of glory in our shame. Like the thing that degrades us, we actually laugh about and enjoy. We often do not take this sin seriously. Uh, Christians actually um, are sometimes the worst at this. We talk about all the sins of the world in these terrifying ways and hell and all this. And uh, sometimes Christians are some of the most gluttonous people in the world. While the Bible makes room for feasting on special occasions and teaches that food should be enjoyed, as Christians, we should be people who do not glory in the things that bring us shame. So go back to our verses. Verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. So remember, he's creating a a picture of two different kinds of people. So he's going back to the other group. He says, there's one group who glories in their shame, and the other group, what do they do? Verse 21 says, We await a Savior who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Paul is giving us many choices here. He's creating two paths for you to follow. He says, choose your destiny, choose your God, and choose your glory. Will you glory in your shame? Sometimes this looks like Instagram photos posted at 3 a.m. and deleted the next morning. Will you glory in your shame? Will you glory in the fact that you are being remade to look like Jesus? That's a much better glory. This is one of the greatest hopes of the Christian faith. We are not simply saved by grace, but we are being transformed. From an identity of victory in Jesus, we are now being reshaped. And our glory is in the fact that he will one day come back for us to reclaim us and make us just like him. Spend time thinking about that. We will be perfect in intention and in our choices, perfect in love, perfect in joy, perfect in peace. That's the Christian glory. That's what we should be glorying in. So there's a final choice here given to us by Paul. He's trying to direct the hearts of his friends, people he knows and cares about. He says, follow the way of Jesus, not the way of Jesus' enemies. The fourth thing is we can choose our focus. Verse 19 says, we'll return to that one more time, their end is destruction, Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And this is a tough one. Minds set on earthly things. Where is your focus? You may not get to choose your temptation, but you can choose where you let your mind rest. Is it Instagram likes? Is that what takes up your mental space? Are you thinking, okay... I'm going to try and apply this passage tonight whether or not I like the sermon delivery. Or are you thinking, okay, this guy's sermon is a major snooze fest. I can't wait for dinner. What should I have tonight? 
That's even more applicable in morning churches because they're going to lunch right after. You guys have probably already had dinner. But when you're working, are you just trying to make it to the weekend so you can play hard? Or are you seeing yourself as a redemptive force in whatever, whatever vocation God's called you to? Our focus shifts so easily to the world, and that is the way of the glutton. Alternatively, not the way of the glutton, back in verse 20, Paul identifies a different focus for the follower of Jesus. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. All things are subject to God. So this is the fourth path. You can choose to focus on the fact that all things are subject to God. All things. We have been given victory in Jesus over all the temptations that attack you. I want you to think, just for a second, what's the biggest struggle of your life? Okay. Jesus gives us victory over that struggle. And it may be like war sometimes, but you have victory over that struggle in Jesus. Choose to focus there. Focus on Him. Focus on His love. Focus on the ways in which you can find a greater eternal pleasure in Jesus than you can find in the ice cream scoop or happy hour visit that you feel like you need. Choose your destiny. Choose your God. Choose your glory. Choose your focus. And ultimately, the thing I want you to do, and I think Paul is trying to get us to do, is choose the food. Choose a different food. Choose a better food. See, Paul here wants us to follow Jesus. He doesn't want our God to be our belly because then our end is destruction. He wants us to walk away from gluttony. We have this void. It's a real need. And we fill it with food or checking social media incessantly or Netflix or gossip, a news obsession or the next update in technology. And he is saying that we have the power to walk away from all that. It doesn't have to chain us down anymore. But how? You are most empowered to walk away from gluttony when you are no longer trying to fill your soul with temporal food, but instead have your soul filled with what the Bible calls the bread of life. Choose Jesus, the only food that can fill your soul. The crazy thing is that we obsess over all these things, food and drink and Netflix, but your food will never love you back. And it will never fill the holes left by trauma or emotional pain or sin, regret, bad choices or guilt. Nothing can fill that except Jesus. In John 4, Jesus is speaking to a woman. She's standing near a well. She's in need of water. She has been caught in adultery, and Jesus says something very gracious to her. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, pointing at the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So like Louis said at the beginning, you may be struggling with the forever empty. When you're finally quiet at the end of the day, you go to pick up your phone or turn on the next episode of Gilmore Girls, season three, no spoilers. When you hear that whisper in the dark of night, you're alone. Tonight I want you to hear the truth of the gospel is the the whisper is a lie and you're not alone. We are separate from God. And that does hurt. Do you feel that loneliness? I do. And the distance between me and God is often a lonely void. I'd be surprised if you didn't feel it sometimes too. 
But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus has come for us. He is seeking after us, and you are not alone. God became man so that Jesus dying could become the food we needed to eat, so that instead of trying to fill our souls with things that don't last, we can be filled forever. And tonight I hope you see that the answer is not another drink or spoonful, but deep communion with God. It is being brought into right, deep, true peace with God through Jesus. Tonight you have a choice to make. There are two paths. Gluttony and Jesus. There is hope for every person in the room. Let's together choose to eat the food that fills our soul. Pray with me. God, thank you for tonight and for a chance to hear from you. Um, it's something, this, this sin, gluttony, is something that easily entangles us because we think it's silly. Um, and I just pray over us now that you'd help us to see through that uh, and to see our overconsumption, especially in the United States, as a sin um, and one that we can repent of, of and have victory over. Uh, God, help us to see it this week in ourselves. Why, why do I want this extra piece of food? God, I pray for those of us who are struggling with um, something we don't talk about a lot in church, the uh, self-image and um, body image. I pray that this sermon tonight would not be um, hurtful to them, that they would hear the hope and glory and peace of Jesus in this, uh, that we all have that in you together. God, heal us, bring us back to you. Thank you for forgiving us and loving us in Jesus' name. Amen.